who needs a handout that doesn't have one from last week already? So, one, two, three, four, five. So, I think I have just enough to meet the need. So, uh, who does? Oh, you need one, and you need one. Well, Mary? All right. Yeah, so, uh, anyone else need one? Jesse and Pam, Amy, Joe, I'm going to need you. How you all doing tonight? Good. Oh, I didn't see you. Did you have your hand up? Oh, okay. Who did? Gene Jeffries. Okay. So we're, uh, Amy just let me know, a really good family friend of ours just uh, had a stroke, my brother-in-law's father. So it's bad timing, too, because his wife is uh, really declining fast with Alzheimer's, so he's been attending to her, and uh, and so I just found that out. So anyway, we'll be praying for him. Gene Jeffries, that's Troy Jeffries' uncle, you know Troy. So, <clears throat> um, of course, everyone in Sibley's related. But uh, that's a whole other discussion. All right, so, uh, all right, we're in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to review where we were last week. So we're, we're, I'm going to do my best to wrap up chapter 1 and jump into chapter 2, but I don't know that we'll get to chapter 2, but I'm ready in case we do. And, uh, and so, that almost rhymed. But that was not intended, though, so... There's some guy on the internet. He just does these off the top of his head raps all the time. It's amazing. Uh, I forget his name, but it's like, dude, what in the world? I just the only problem is, why does everybody got a curse today? I'm like, what is wrong with you people? I get tired. Not you people. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's like, I can't go anywhere. I mean, stuff that I think is going to be like rated G, and all of a sudden somebody's got. A, I'm like, it's maddening. You know, it just makes me. And I, I mean, anyway. I gotta, I gotta quit. I gotta, I'm gonna, I gotta get off that topic because it's, it's really just a hobby horse, but it irritates me. Anyway, so, uh, so we're in Revelation chapter one, uh, and, uh, let's go ahead and, and, uh, look at the text. We were picked it up in verse 12 is when our, is when our notes are, but I'm gonna pick it up in verse 11. Uh, the Lord here saying to John, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Uh, so there's your seven churches. And then verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. We talked about that last week. And uh, being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, uh, which you guys know are the churches as defined in verse 19 and 20. Um, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. Which means so be it. And and have the keys of hell and of death. 
Verse 18 is important later on in the book of Revelation. Those keys come back into play, so keep that in mind. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. And the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So there's our definition for the uh, the um, stars. And then the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the symbolism there is uh, clearly defined by the, the Lord himself. All right, so um, so we talked about how our purpose uh, is to, uh, and I'm just going to review quickly, to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ so we can prepare ourselves to partake in its fulfillment as the bride of Christ and increase our understanding of who God is and intensify urgency in ministering the gospel in these last days. So I've combined two things. Um, I want to make sure. Yeah, I have the wrong PowerPoint up. So, mm-hmm. sorry guys. If you could put up, uh, that's the seven churches. We're not there yet. We're we're still on chapter one. So, whoever's handling that, you can redo that. So, um, so for your outlines though, we're, well, we we reviewed. Uh, I'll just pick up where in your outlines. We're talking about Jesus' revelation in verses twelve through eighteen. The first thing that we saw was Jesus' identification. Uh, we got a turn to see Jesus. We saw that last week, and we talked about how that works out in practical holiness, and, and uh, I won't re- recover all of that. And then we talked about, um, okay, are we back up? Okay, there we go. Let me get through all this. That's all review from last week. Hold, I stand in the clouds. I right, come in the clouds. Okay. So, John, that's all stuff we covered. All right, here we go. So, uh, that was all review. And then this is review from this week. So, we got up to point four in your outline. So, as far as the way that looks, we saw that we must turn to see Jesus. And then we took some time and talked about the menorah. And the menorah uh, that we saw there, of course, we talked about Exodus twenty-five thirty-one which is on your notes. up. Well, it's not on that note, but it was in your notes and uh, how it had uh, six branches and the middle one constituted the seventh. And uh, and so uh, it, we talked about how it, it shines light on the on the uh, on the manna and illuminated that. And, and we also talked about Zechariah chapter four, uh, one through seven and uh, and <clears throat> and looked at that as well. And so we saw that the church uh, is to illuminate the, the word. There are seven churches which represent seven church ages, which have been given the responsibility to shine the light upon the bread of life. And so um, we spent some time talking about our vision as a church in Philippians, which we are to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And then we saw that Jesus, we saw Jesus as he is. And uh, without all the preconceived ideas, there's a great example, uh, or not example, but a great image there of what it looks like. And uh, and so, and we contrasted how John spent uh, time, um, so let me back up, he spent time with Jesus in his earthly ministry, but yet when he saw him uh, in his glory, again, because he saw him at the Mount Transfiguration, um, he fell on his face as dead, and he was interacting with him, um, you know, in a different manner than he did in his earthly ministry. Uh, and so his glorified state is dramatically different uh, from his his uh, terrestrial state. 
which is also the way it will be for us when we get our glorified bodies, except we won't be Jesus, of course. But we will like him, according to 1 John chapter 3. And so um, we looked at that, and then we saw that we will find uh, Jesus where he resides, which, again, is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Uh, we see that there at the end of the chapter as well. And we see Jesus, uh, Jesus' right hand in uh, verses 3, or uh, in uh, verse, <clears throat> in uh, Revelation 3.16. Jesus' uh, right hand uh, is the Lord down there in verse 16. And in, in his right hand he had seven stars, I'm sorry. In his right hand had seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his... Um, uh, Went out of his a sharp edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And so, in his right hand, um, he had the stars, which we know from the end of the chapter are the angels. So we also saw that he let's see where we at his right hand, and then we we got down to Jesus is in a position of power. So we got quite a ways. All right, um, and then. <clears throat> Now we're getting caught up. So that's where really, really where we left off. So um, we are in Jesus' right hand as well. So we saw Jesus in his power. And I didn't get through all of this. So let me, let me go from the top here, starting in Revelation 1.13. Now I can continue on from last week. So uh, in the midst of the, the seven candlesticks, one likened the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girded about the paps with a golden girdle. Uh, the garment that represents the dress of the high priest in Leviticus, we covered that last week, and I reminded you that, reminded you that in Hebrews 4, uh, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest, right? And he's after the order of, Mel, of Melchizedek, and you might remember that, uh, or you might have slept since then. So Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. That's one of the main things that the book of Hebrews teaches us, is he's a better priest, he's a better sacrifice, he's better, he's a New Testament, he's a better testament. So... Uh, Jesus Christ is better, uh, and uh, and so uh, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And of course, Jesus never committed sin, but he suffered anyway for sin. So uh, he is the perfect example, the only example uh, of uh, he's the only sinless person ever. Uh, and yet he suffered, uh, and and how so he had to learn obedience because he was never going to disobey. Right? He chose. He was never going to disobey. So. Uh, but he did put himself, when you look at him walk through the, the process of going to the cross, he put himself, when he prayed in the garden, he sweat drops of blood. And so he put himself at odds against his own will. Uh, one was the will of the Father, which was to, for his love for the world to sacrifice his son. The other was Jesus Christ is a high priest, and he's holy. And the last thing that he wants to do is be defiled. Uh, and so what did he do? He had to pray it out in the garden, and he said it out loud, Not my will, but thine be done. So I'm going to yield my will, which would, would, you know, just, I'd prefer not to do this. I'm holy. I'm sinless. This is unjust. But I'm going to do it anyway because the Father loves the world and I'm going to obey the Father. Therefore, he obeyed. He learned obedience. <clears throat> Why do you have to learn obedience? Because he was never going to disobey anyway, right? He, unlike us, we have to spend a lot of time teaching us obedience because we start off as kids not wanting to obey. Jesus is always going to obey. The one time that his parents thought he wasn't obeying, <clears throat> they're like, where were you, Jesus? You know, he's like, well, I was about my father's business. You know, I was down there talking to, he's 12 years old. I'm down there talking to the the uh, 
teachers down in Jerusalem. You know, I'm always about my father's business. And so Mary's like, oh, you're right. Okay, so she never had to correct Jesus because he was always going to do what was right. Sometimes you see these imaginations that Jesus was just some honorary little kid like everybody else. I'm sure he was playful, but he wasn't he wasn't disobedient like we are. So um, anyway, moving on. So Jesus is... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, his head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, it says in verse 14. And uh, he's got all wisdom, as we know from Proverbs 16:31. The hoary head is a crown of glory to be found in the way of righteousness. So when you think of the white-headed person, that's a, the hoary head means white. Um, and, it's, and he is the righteousness of God, according to Romans chapter 10. Um, again, that ties us with uh, Mary had a little lamb, right? We say that all the time. His fleece was white as snow, right? And so you see that in Revelation chapter uh, uh, 1 and verse 14. And we see there his eyes are as a flame of fire. Uh, it says in verse 12, and uh, he had many crowns on his head and a name that no man knew but he himself. So uh, his eyes burned through like lasers. And we left off in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, 61, uh, where it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And I, I took some time and just worked that that reality of, um, of how how John had to turn and look. And how Peter, uh, how Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and how the Peter went out uh, and was just broken. And so that's where we uh, left off last week. And, and Peter went out and wept bitterly as he was denying the Lord. And I was I left you with the practical application of someday soon we're going to stand before Jesus, and some people will weep bitterly because it will really set in on how much they denied the Lord. And, you know, sometimes we go to funerals and, and uh, someone's had a sketchy testimony. Um, you think of like Toby Mack's son. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but his son committed suicide a while back. And, and uh, Toby's going around saying, yeah, my son was saved. I talked to him about it a lot of times. He's not saved because he merited it. He didn't deserve salvation. He was my wild child, but none of us merit salvation. Salvation comes by grace through faith, and I'm certain he put his faith in Christ. Amen, amen. And I say amen to that, and I hope that brings great comfort to Toby and uh and his family, and I'm sure it does, and someday I'll see him again. But what we don't know is what that looks like at the judgment seat of Christ for, for little uh, uh, Toby Mac's son, right, And uh, who got hooked up on fentanyl or whatever and killed himself and took his life prematurely, or God allowed it, but ultimately he was doing stuff he ought not. So, so you know, yeah, you're a Christian, yet saved is by fire. What's the inheritance looking like on the other side? So, there, you know, a lot of times I think... When we think about meeting Jesus, uh, John, I'm pretty sure, is living a pretty straight life. When he sees Jesus, he falls on his face as dead, you know. Um, and we're all going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ and give account for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, and, and me included. I don't think I probably spent enough time just thinking about what that's like and, and really appreciating the reality of that. Because if we really get a hold of that and you back into where we are today, then everything else is going to change. I mean, you're really going to live this life to the fullest. So... So seeing Jesus face to face, um, obviously he's in us and we see him and we're with him and he's in, this is the body of Christ, the visible body of Christ and all of those things. Um, but we really, there's going to be a day we're going to stand before him and we need to be ready for that. All right, so uh, so as I look at this text, I think about those things and we consider those things. Now let me pick you up in, in uh, verse um, uh, 15 and if you're tracking with the verses, the voluminous amount of verses I have up there, we're just going to keep on working through these so we're down to revelation uh chapter 1 and verse 15 and then we'll be our next verse will be psalm 93 
I'm looking through my list up there. I don't even see where that's at, but it's it's up there. And so uh, if you're looking ahead and want to turn ahead, you can do that. But in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible says, And his feet, uh, like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And so uh, he's revealing his feet to us here, and and uh, his feet are like fine brass, uh, white brass, which has been purified. So brass represents judgment in the scripture. In the temple, there was a brazen altar upon which the sacrifices were offered in between the altar and the holy place. Um, Water and fire both bring judgment and purging. So Jesus is the only man with a completely pure walk. His feet are undefiled. And uh, and so uh, how beautiful are the feet, right, of those that preach the gospel and uh, bring glad tidings. But his feet were perfect and are perfect. And so uh, now when you think about that, remember the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. What's, somebody just shout out, what's Genesis 3.15 talk about? Yeah, Ron's got it. The serpent, right? What's, he's got it. He gets his head crushed, and it's going to be by the pure, uh, the pure foot of the Lord, so to speak. And so um, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So knowing... That whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And so uh, we're to have we're to have our our feet, our gospel feet, our gospel shoes on. That's not the that's not the right verse there. Ephesians, you guys know the verse. Uh, be like Joe Biden, you know the thing. <laughs> Ephesians six eight. Uh, uh, that's not that's not the one I'm looking for. Um, uh, yeah. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, so our feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ephesians, that's Ephesians six fifteen. And so, <clears throat> um, think that when you contrast that with the Genesis three 15, uh, Jesus' feet are going to crush Satan's head. And as soldiers, we need to have the gospel of peace as our feet. Notice it's gospel of peace. So right now we reconcile. A few few years ago in the last century, um, before I was born again and born, uh, a guy named Billy Graham wrote a book called Peace with God, right, or something like that. And he went around preaching a bunch of sermon series on how you have peace with God during the peace movement in the 60s, I think it was. And uh, and you need peace. You need peace with God, right? There's false peace and there's God's peace. But we have the prepar- we have the gospel of peace, and we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and they're beautiful. And so uh, I'll remind you what Peter said about Satan's end. He's not only prophesied to be put down under Jesus's feet, but under our feet. So this is important. Uh, so I'm going to have you look over at uh, Romans 16 because. Uh, it's not enough for me just to read it. I think you guys need to look at it. So Romans chapter 16 and verse 20. As you think about what we've talked about, okay, again, backing up to, to I didn't have you look there, but Genesis 3.15, and Satan's going to be put under Jesus' heel, right? Um, and then you think about we have the gospel of, of peace, gospel of peace, gospel shoes of peace. Now notice what Paul says here to the Romans in Romans 16 and verse 20, he says, um, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
Amen. Amen. Romans 16 and verse 20. Yeah. So you see the correlation. The, the adversary is going to be bruised under our feet. That's a prophecy that Jesus had. He's going to crush his head and bruise his heel. But yet we are told that we've got the gospel of peace. Our feet are to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we don't often realize how powerful our gospel feet are. You know, you hear, oh, we're sending the gospel of peace and you know all of that. I tell you what, the gospel of peace makes principalities and powers shake because it frees men's souls. It's important. And it also establishes the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ alone um, over over all humanity because he is the Lord of all. And, okay, so um, I just want to mention that as we look at verse 15 of Revelation chapter 1 and consider those those feet that are, are shining there that are uh, beautiful feet, of course, white like brass uh, that have been purified. Uh, and so he's the only pure uh, God, the only holy God. Revelation one fifteen, the voice and the sound of many waters is mentioned there. Uh, if you go back to Revelation chapter fourteen uh, in your in your Bible, look back there at chapter fourteen and verse um, uh, verse two. Revelation fourteen two, the Bible says, and I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters and the voice of a of a great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping. Um, with their harps, all right? And so here, just to back up to verse 1, I looked, and, and lo, a lamb stood on the mount uh, of Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. <clears throat> and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. So that's a booming voice. Um, it's a thundering, powerful voice that uh, is, is heard there. And so uh, that is the voice that is is uh, repeated over and over again. So the thundering power of God's voice is amazing. Uh, some of you, maybe, has anyone here been to Niagara Falls? Ron has and Pam has. Is that loud? I have. Yeah, well, these folks have been there, and they say it's, it is loud. I've not been to Niagara Falls. I've been to some falls, and uh, the ones I've been around are loud. You know, I can't imagine a massive one. So when I think about the voice of many waters, that's what I think about. Because you, you read in the in the Bible about fountains. We even sing about that. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And we know that uh, whatever is running down the sides of the north, I think, is probably water. And there's probably glory outside of that, which is fire. And so uh, so I'm sure there's fountains. And I'm sure it's an immense noise. Um, and so... And so uh, <clears throat> uh, Pastor Randy used to minister in Africa. In Africa, there's a place in Zambia called Victoria Falls. I've looked at it on the, the Internet. It's a beautiful, huge fall. Uh, and in the spring of the year, <clears throat> uh, these type of waterfalls are so loud, you can't even converse with the person right next to you without raising your voice. So can you imagine as uh, standing before a great waterfall, so great that it could flood the entire universe? And imagine the, the deafening noise that would result from that type of water. Uh, so then imagine as, as you're listening to the waterfall, a voice as loud as the thundering, as thunder cutting through the noise. And, and now you got a, just a glimpse of what's going on as John is, is hearing this voice like thunder coming through this, this, this wall, this incredible noise of water. Um, and so as you know much about the universe too, it's, it's uh, in Job, you know, it talks about his vesture and and we're pretty sure that there's clouds, there's a crystal sea, uh, clouds under that, you know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of water, 
at the third heaven, uh, at the base of the third heaven. I believe that's probably what's covering the throne of God from busting forth through the universe right now and burning us all up in his glory. So so, so whatever's going on, it, it's an amazing thing to, 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 to think about is he, his feet are like fine brass and they burn in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters, just, just loud and booming. Um, and so... Uh, the Lord, it says in Psalm, I'll read this to you for time's sake. Psalm 93 and verse 1 says, And the Lord reigneth. Uh, <clears throat> he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. And the world also established, uh, established, and it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. You ever stood on the seashore and just heard the, the deafening sound of the waves coming in, especially when they get come in and it's and they're coming in strong? You can't hear you back up off the edge of the you know, the shore and there's a huge difference, right? Uh, but that's that's loud. You can hear that, especially when you're up next to it. But it says, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So as John's hearing this loud voice, it's, it's as the voice of many waters. It's very loud, and it's marvelous. It's the marvelous word of God. Uh, and it's interesting that it's likened to water because the word of God, it cleanses us. Right, the water of the word. So in Ephesians chapter five, the husband is commanded to wash his wife in the water of the word, and so it's no wonder his voice is like water, uh, mighty water. And so uh, Ephesians five twenty six. We're getting ready. To, by the way, have a marriage conference. If you if you're married or going to get married and you haven't signed up, sign up for that. Register for that, and uh, get going before you know there, it's limited. Uh, as far as rooms and stuff, so you want to get on that now. So, <clears throat> so Ephesians five twenty six says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So Paul tells us in Ephesians that that Jesus Christ is and and is that marriage I should say rather is a picture of Jesus Christ and the church, and he says, wash your wives in the water of the word. And yet, as John, who's a type of the church, is caught up, what's he hear? He hears, he hears Jesus and his voice is as many waters. And we're washed in the water of his word. We're cleansed by the word of God. It's amazing, uh, the, just the parallels. And also there's a depth to that that we probably, I probably don't get. And so uh, it is amazing. I can't resist the need to skip ahead to Revelation 22.1. As we think about a river of pure water uh, coming out of the throne... And what that sounds like, right? So uh, consider that. Let's just take your fingers and go back and and climb into Revelation chapter um, 22, last chapter of your your Bible, uh, last chapter of the book. Revelation 22, 1, he says, And I I saw a new heaven. Now we're going, we're fast forward in the tape. And uh, tribulation's over. Second coming's commenced. Thousand-year reign of Christ has come. Uh, Satan has rebelled at the end of that, with, along with all the nations that wanted to rebel. They're all put down. Great white throne has occurred. Uh, the nations are cast, or the uh, the death and hell are open. 
and those that are destined for eternal damnation are cast in the lake of fire along with Satan and his angels. And, uh, and, and so, okay, now we've got a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going into eternity future. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Oh, I'm in 21. Sorry, chapter 22. Uh, and, and he showed me a pure river of water of life as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and the servants shall serve him, and, and, there, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Uh, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And you see in verse 1, he showed me a, uh, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And so your authorized version of the Bible um, is very clear. It says it comes out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. I think I've looked it up in other translations and they get it wrong. <clears throat> and so when you think back on John 19.34, it talks about the blood and the water came out. The blood and the water came out. Uh, and so now consider this. Just take your, take your finger and go back to Ezekiel chapter 47 as we're, as we're looking ahead in the millennial reign. Ezekiel 47. This is all prophesied before Jesus was ever born. And you go down to verse 5 and it says, Afterward he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over. Uh, For the waters were risen, waters to swim in the river that could not be passed over. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I had returned, behold, at the brink of the river were very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said unto me, These waters issue toward the east country and go into the desert and go into the sea, which uh, being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fishes, because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed. And everything that shall live, whither the river cometh, it shall be. It shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it, from Engedi even unto uh, Ingelim, uh, which some people think is England. And they shall uh, be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their uh, kinds, as the fish of the great sea, according to many. <clears throat> but the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. And by the river upon the bank thereof, on the side and uh, on, the, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaves shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to the months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. All right, so when you go back, and I, I didn't pick it up in verse 1, but you can do that later. If you know this, if you've read this prophecy, 
you see that at the door in verse in verse one, it says afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. He's talking about the house of the Lord and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. So all you see in Ezekiel's vision is this water that comes out of the threshold. You know, and, and obviously it's not a river of water. It's water coming out of the house. Like if we had a a water leak going out the front door of HBF, right? And But if you continue on and you look at that thing, it, it, it keeps growing. And, and then it says, it comes out from under the threshold of the house eastward for the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under and from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. I have a picture of this somewhere, probably at the end of my session. And then brought he me out of the way of the gate uh, northward and led me about the way uh, without unto the utter gate by the way of the, that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. So he's taking them out the eastern eastern gate. <laughs> it's like the eastern, they're coming out of the tabernacle and then they, or the temple I should say rather. And then they're going to go down and they follow this on out the east part of, of the gates of the city. And then... Uh, and when the man that had this line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and brought me through the waters. So he, he basically walks across them and it says that the waters were to the ankles. And again, he measured a thousand more, a thousand cubits and brought me through the waters and, and they were to my knees. And again, he measured a thousand and, and brought me through the waters <clears throat> to my loins. The waters were to my loins. And afterward, he measured where I picked it up a thousand and he, and, and it was a river. But I can't pass over like I, I'm swimming. So this is this water's growing. It's multiplying. It's getting deeper and deeper. It starts in the throne of God. And these waters are healing, healing the nations. And so this is very literal, by the way. This isn't a, a spiritual, you know, figment of someone's imagination. This is literally what Ezekiel's seeing, and this is literally a vision of what's going to come from the temple. So you wonder when, and I believe in the millennium, you'll see this. Uh, and all that, all the the earth that gets, we'll get into the the third and the third and the third, and then ultimately the vials and what's going to happen. Well, God's going to heal it, which, by the way, isn't all going to just happen overnight. It'll take some time for everything to recoup, but it'll be pretty rapid, I'm sure. If you go look at all these natural disasters, people are amazed anyway how quick the earth can absorb all these natural disasters and then come back. It's, it's God's God's planet is amazing. This is a corrupt planet. Wait till He's ruling and reigning. And so I, I say all that just to say this. Um, when you think about this millennial river, um, it's only a picture what we're seeing in Ezekiel of what we looked at in Revelation 22. And when you think about where John's at in the third heaven and there's, and there's fountains in the deep, I mean, there's some sort of power and some sort of water. And it is above me. I don't quite get it. I, I can only imagine um, but when God speaks to the voice of many waters, it represents a lot of power and a lot of purity because he has the power not only to purify our sin, but to actually purify the planet and to purify the universe. But praise God, he's going to, he's going to use fire and then he's going to be bringing the water, you know? And so anyway, just some things to think about guys, when you think about these things in revelation, now let's go back to chapter one and verse 16 and uh, we'll get a little bit, I kind of got a little Sidetrack there, but I can't help myself sometimes. So, and he, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and we know those seven stars um, <clears throat> in his right hand. They are uh, they're the seven golden candles. I'm sorry, the seven stars are the angels, I should say. 
uh, the seven stars are the angels um, <clears throat> that are in his right hand, the angels of the churches. And it may be that each church has an angel. And so it appears in Daniel that each nation is represented by angels without going back and looking into, you know, getting into a study of Daniel. Um, and so it appears that at least those who are saved may be also represented by angels. Go back to Luke chapter 16. So the concept of guardian angels, before you you poo-poo that too much, go back to Luke chapter 16, a verse that many of us are familiar with, um, dealing with the rich man and, and, the, and the beggar, right? Lazarus and, and, and the rich man. The rich man's name is not given, and of course he goes to hell. We know that. But it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died, which was Lazarus, and and, and was carried by the angels into abraham's bosom he's escorted by angels into abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried nothing about angels or demons it just says he died and was buried and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth abraham afar off so um i'm not saying that there weren't demonic forces that carry him off but i don't know that there need to be as soon as he uh, closed his eyes in death he was it appears he was in hell he was in prison and he was in torment. But Lazarus, on the other hand, was carried by angels uh, to Abraham's bosom. You guys looking for that? That's uh, Luke chapter, um, uh, Luke sixteen, twenty-two. And so, um, this is you know in an Old Testament context before Jesus died on the cross. He wasn't you know Lazarus didn't go to heaven because heaven wasn't available yet until after the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And so, um, so we get all that just his, just in context. But my point is, is that this one Lazarus dies, and there's there's angelic hosts there uh, to steward him to Abraham's bosom. And so, perhaps you do have a, a an angel attached to your case. I know this. I believe not only that there are angels uh, that are definitely with the church ages, perhaps even with the churches. I definitely believe that there's devils attached to our case. Um, uh, and I, one of the reasons I believe that is I don't think we're all that important to the overall, you know, what God's uh, doing. But occasionally I do sense that if we're getting some traction, there's certain demonic activity that happens. And we know this. We don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, right? So what's the first thing you do when you get cross in the church? You blame your flesh and blood, your body, your body members. And everybody starts looking cross at one another and and the, you got, if you're wise in warfare, spiritual warfare, the first thing you got to tell yourself is, wait a minute, it's not sister so-and-so, it's not brother so-and-so. There's something spiritual going on. And one of the things I learned really early here at Heartland, early, like, like when I mean like I'm driving down the road with my heart beating, thinking, is the wheels going to come off this wagon before we ever get started? Um, and uh, is that the devil has a way of, of, of working in people with with just uh, and I say the devil, I mean demon. I mean I'm talking like a demon, uh, seeding thoughts in people's minds. So because I'll hear the same lie here that I heard over here, and I know they're completely unrelated. You ever have that? You ever see something like that happen? So when I see that happen, I'm always like, okay. Or God's like, McFly, wake up, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, you know, sister sister so-and-so is a perfectly good Christian, good saint, loves God, loves people, and all of a sudden you hear this lie come flying out of their face, and you're like, oh, that's not like sister so-and-so. And then, uh, you know, brother 
brother so-and-so over here, he's just as good as gold or whatever, and all of a sudden he's cross and all worked up about something, and boom, out of his face comes the same lie. You're like, whoa, wait a minute, what is this? This is spiritual warfare. So if you're a pastor or you're going to be in the ministry, just take note of that because your your natural man wants to throttle somebody who's lying about the body because you want to protect the flock. That's what you want to do, and that's what you are here to do. But you've got to be careful because it's a wrestling match. And we don't wrestle flesh and blood. We wrestle principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So if you're going to overthrow it, you've got to do it biblically, with, with biblical leverage. Otherwise, you're going, to, you're going to get yourself in a world of hurt. So anyway, I'm just saying, I do believe that not only... And so, I say all that to say, if there's demonic activity that, that is evident in the body, and there is, then certainly uh, I would think God will help us and give us some angelic help every so often and uh, to help us. So... I think it'll be interesting when we get to heaven to look back and be able to see the struggles spiritually that have been going on over the work of God in local churches and communities and countries. Uh, and so we see in the Old Testament, and we know from Daniel's prophecy, obviously there are angelic representations of countries. The prince of Persia, which is no less than pro- pro- prophesying Satan himself as well as a dual application, uh, is also a literal demonic, angelic, not for the, for God, host that's fighting against god's will in daniel i mean you just know that so so it makes completely good sense that there's angels representing the churches and so for our charismatic friends that think you can lose your salvation because an angel is spewed out just remember in revelation 3 it's an angel that's spewed out not not us however uh man don't grieve the angels right and so um, I'm just saying, it, it's it's interesting. These seven stars are in his right hand, the angels of the churches. So each church has an angel. And it may be that each uh, church, literally, local church, has an angel, as I just mentioned. So Revelation 116, his mouth has a sharp two-edged sword. And we're not surprised at that because we know from Hebrews 4.12 that that is defined for us, that the word of God is quick, right? It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Dividing a center of the soul and the spirit and the thoughts, the intents of the heart, right? And so, so we get that Romans or Hebrews four twelve, and you also see that in in uh, since we're in Revelation, flip over to chapter nineteen and verse twenty one. Revelation nineteen twenty one, and you'll see here that that uh, when Jesus returns at the second coming, look what comes out of his mouth. It says his eyes were as a flame of fire, just like chapter one, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And so uh, so there he, he's got a flame of fire. Um, where's, the, where's the word of God at? I'm in Revelation 19. Oh, I'm in 21. I'm in the wrong verse. So I, I gave you the right verse, but I'm reading the wrong passage. Forgive me. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck on verse 12. Uh, but verse 12 is where is where is uh, is does tie in. Uh, I'm looking at my reference. It's Hebrews 4:12. So I was looking at the wrong verse. Over in verse 21, which I had the right, right, uh, right verse. Um, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon or sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled uh, with their flesh. And so the sword proceeds out of his mouth. It's a sharp two-edged sword of Hebrews 4:12. And it's also found there in verse 16 of Revelation. His countenance is as the sun in the brightness, uh, in the brightest part of the day. So it's as bright as the noonday sun. So Jesus shines brighter um, than the sunshine at noon, right? And that's not a surprise. Malachi 4.2, so we're getting to the end of my list here. 
Uh, Malachi 4.2, somebody, what's that verse say? Somebody paraphrase it even. Anyone know? Son of right, last verse in your Old Testament. Just keep your hand here and go back to the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew. And uh, somebody just shout out uh, Malachi 4, not verse, last chapter. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. Amen. So he's the son of righteousness. And notice there the King James gang, uh, they they said they spelled it S-U-N, not S-O-N. He is the son of righteousness uh, because uh, they understand it's a proper noun. They're not, they're not talking about the sunshine. They're not talking about the globe of gas burning out here in, the, in outer space. They're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ who is bright as the sun. So the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And uh, he shall go forth and grow up as, <clears throat> and ye shall go up, uh, go forth and grow up as calves in of the stall. So of course that's a interesting thing is that's the last chapter we find in the Old Testament, but in the Hebrews this isn't the last chapter they have. They won't get that until after the rapture and the tribulation. They wake up to what they miss in the New Testament, and then they'll figure out why their Bibles order differently. Last thing they say in their Bible, Second Chronicles is, or Second Samuel is Chronicles, which is go up. It tells them to go up because they're all they're all being told to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to verify that because I'm going off my memory. Let me make sure I got the right reference. And if I don't, feel free to correct me. But it's easy to it's easy to vet. Yeah, I got it highlighted right here. It's uh it's uh the last thing a Jew's going to see in their Bibles is Second uh, Chronicles thirty six twenty three, and this and uh, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia. <laughs> Notice the king there, Persian. All the kingdoms of this earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Man, that's a dual prophecy there I've never seen until tonight. Who is there among you of all the people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So that's the last thing a Jew sees in their Bible is the king of Persia commanding them to go up, which, of course, happened in Ezra's time in history, uh, but also... Uh, if you know much about Ezekiel and, and Isaiah and the prince of Persia, well, uh, that has a double connotation. There's going to be a house built soon in Jerusalem, and there's going to be worship there. It's going to be bad news for the Jews that go up until Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness, arises with healing in his wings. So that's amazing. Actually, I hadn't actually put all that together till just now. That's cool. Anyway, that's neat. That's neat how those two endings are different and, and uh, who's responsible for each. And so, um, uh, did you have the reference? Thirty-six twenty-three. There you go. Go up. That's what they're going to. That's what they're doing right now. The Jews are going back to Israel. Matter of fact, they need to, man. If they're going to defend their property, you're gonna need, they need all hands on deck. They need, probably got a hundred thousand up here in New York. And another 20,000 20, here in Kansas City. I'm not trying to get rid of them. I'm just saying um, they got their hands full right now because the world's turned against them. And the church hasn't even been taken out yet. So, um, okay. So Revelation chapter 22, uh, notice this as well as we consider the son of righteousness. In Revelation 22, we're back in 22. Now we're further down the chapter. 
And as we get to, toward the end in verse 16, he said, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you of these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Bright and morning star. Now, that's a reference. You definitely need your King James Bible to track down. Um, uh, he is the bright and morning star uh, because uh, they'll call Lucifer the morning star uh, in uh, in. Uh, I'm trying to remember the passage. Is it Isaiah? Yeah, Isaiah 14. Lucifer, clearly dealing with Satan, is called the morning star. He is not the morning star. Jesus is the morning star, bright morning star. So, what's that? Mm Mm-hmm. Copying him and and also distorting the truth. It's perverse. All right, so finally, you're like, man, Brian, that is the longest point in the world. And it was. All right, so let's let's keep moving uh, because we've got to get this done. So, uh, Jesus is the God of all comfort. So, when we get to verses 17 through 19 of chapter 1, uh, we got some other things that we've had some time to really examine Jesus. And, and, uh, and, and one of the things that we see about him is he is the God of all comfort. In verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, as I've mentioned, of course, because of his glory. But notice what he did, and, conjunction, junction, he laid his hand, on, his, his right hand, I should say, upon me, uh, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Interesting that in verse 16, in his right hand are the churches, and yet somehow he's laying his right hand on John. So, um, and so he's comforting John, uh, and he says to him, Fear not. I'm the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. And then he tells him, gives him a job. Write the things which thou hast seen. I'm not here to kill you, John. I'm here to include you. Right? You need to write. You're here to, to, to write like Baruch. The things which thou, uh, the, that thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which... Uh, shall be hereafter, um, and so, so that's what John's job is. So we see that he is the God of all comfort. So John falls in fear. Um, you know, he doesn't go up and lay his head on Jesus' breast like he did at the at the Lord's Supper, at that Passover feast. Right? He's laying down there. They're lounging, and he's and which is customary. It's not any today. I got to be clear because there's so much perversion. So, in Eastern cultures, uh, even in Asian cultures, like in uh, up in Bhutan when we were there, they still kind of sit around and pillow, like in the royal area of the, the uh, capital up there in Tempu, uh, where the king sits is in a big cushy chair. And then they got all these, like, it's like big pillows where guys just kind of sit down cross-legged. But then if they're kicking it, right, and relaxing, everybody leans on their left side and kind of leans over so you can kind of see how they heads in, kind of legs back, and everybody's kind of around in a kind of circles mindset. So John's there next to Jesus with his head right on his breast, just listening to the heart of the Lamb of God. So you get that picture of John, which is why John's also a type of the church, because uh, he's got the heart of God, and that's why he's the one that is caught up. And he, I mean, there's a lot of pictures there with John. Um, and, so, and so, you know, that's the relationship you see with John and Jesus. I mean, he's the one that goes all the way to the cross and all of that, but yet when he sees him in glory, he falls down as dead. And so... Because um, he's entered the presence of God, and he's freaked out about it, as he should be. But Jesus lets us know he's the first and the last, and we need to look outside of, we need not look outside of him, I should say, rather. Uh, we don't have to go anywhere else. 
uh, for anything else. He's like, hey, I got this. Relax, John. It's all good. Um, and he, he does not want us to fear him. He says, fear not. Fear not. I remember when I was a young Christian, that was a huge concept that was laid on me by my, I was an assistant baseball coach, um, and uh, it was uh, uh, Brad, his name was Brad. Um, what was his name, Amy? That's terrible. He's a friend of mine. I forgot his name tonight. Sorry, Brad. Brad and Scott, and they were brothers. I went to went to Honduras with his brother, Scott. But anyway, um, Brad was a was a good guy, a couple years older than me, but still in his 20s. I was I was about 20. I was probably about 18. And um, I'm an assistant baseball coach, and, and we're just kicking it, and he's getting me ready for the season. And, and, he's, and he loved to talk the Bible, a really knowledgeable guy, especially for a young guy, really bright. And uh, he's like, you know what's so cool about the Bible? He goes, in the Old Testament, it's all about fear. In the New Testament, we get to see God as love. And, man, he dropped that on me as a, as a I was still a kid, you know. And I was like, you just said something, you know. And, uh, and so I always remember that. But when I look at this verse, I think about that, you know. Uh, fear not, right? Why, why, can't, why, why is it that we don't have to fear? Because God is love. And his love is, is, is toward us because we've received Jesus Christ as son. And so praise God for that. That is a huge thing. And that's not a light thing. And that's not that we shouldn't have reverence for God. And we, don't, we do need to have a fear of God, of course. <clears throat> but at the same time, we have a unique relationship with God through Jesus Christ that, that no one else in history has had. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful because of Jesus. <clears throat> so compare what John saw with what Daniel saw. Um, in Revelation, uh, we see this, and then Daniel chapter 7 uh, in verse 9. So keep a finger here and go back to Daniel 7 uh, and look down there at verse 9. Of course, Daniel 7 is a really important passage in prophecy in its own right. So if you can get to Ezekiel, just keep going, then you'll be in Daniel. Is Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. Give you all a second to get there. All right, so down here he says, I beheld till the thrones were, were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garments were white as snow, or it sounds a lot like the same thing, and hair as the, as, uh, of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery st- stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were open. <clears throat> I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As I considered the rest of the beast, they had their uh, dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And so uh, what a different revelation you see there. It's similar, uh, but, but it is different. As as uh, as uh, he gets a chance to see as well, like John, into the future. It's amazing. Of course, John was there. So notice what John did. He fell at the Lord's feet as though he were dead. So 
Now, this is the apostle who, again, leaned on his breast in John 13, 23. And a vision of the exalted Christ came only to produce awe and fear. Uh, just like Daniel 10. If you just flip over to Daniel chapter 10, in the same, since we're back here in Daniel, go to chapter 10 and verse 7. And the Bible says back here, <clears throat> I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw the great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness uh, was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. <clears throat> uh, yet heard I the voice of the words, uh, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. So that's what it was like for, for Daniel, you know, to enter into the presence of the Lord. It was like he was a dead man at deep sleep. He went in a coma on his face on the ground. So we need this attitude of respect today. We, when so many believers speak and act with undue familiarity with, uh, toward the Lord, John's response illustrates what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet not now, henceforth, know we him no more. And so, in the, especially in Laodicea, we have a kind of a perverse image of Jesus, which obviously Jesus was in the flesh, and we should know about him in the flesh. But the next time we see him, uh, man, he's going to be in glory. And so, uh, so, you know, John was no longer nestling next to the Lord's heart, you know, relating to him uh, as he had in his earthly ministry. Right? That, those days are gone, and he is Lord of all. Nonetheless, the Lord said, hey, John, it's okay. Fear not. Right? Fear not. So the Lord, the Lord reassured John by touching him and speaking to him. If you go back to Daniel 8, look down in verse 18. Just flip back a couple chapters. He says down here, he says, Now as, as he, he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. Right? So he did a similar thing with Daniel. And uh, in Daniel 9.21, which is a famous passage that we go to to see Daniel's 70th week, before we get down to 70th, the 70th week, it's, he says this, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man, <clears throat> Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, <clears throat> being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the <clears throat> evening oblation. So here he has a messenger, an angel come, and it's Gabriel by name, touches him while he's praying. In Daniel 10 and verse 10, uh, the Bible says, uh, And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon my, the palms of my hands. It's like, get up, get up. Verse 16, he says, And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and, and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, uh, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me. I have retained no strength. He's completely wiped out. Verse 18, And then uh, then there came an, again and touched me one like the appearance of a man and strengthened me and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not, peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. So Daniel was completely as a dead man before the Lord until these angels came and strengthened him and, and, and brought him into a place where he could he could uh, speak. He tells John, fear not. Great encouragement for any child of God. We need not fear because 
he is the living one, right? He is alive, and we, we need not fear death because he died and is alive. And having conquered death, uh, we need not fear because eternity uh, is what is held in his hands. He has the keys of death and hell, and uh, the one with the key has the authority. Now, later on, keep that in mind. I did tell you to keep that in mind. Later on, you're going to see him give those keys over in the, in the middle of the tribulation. We'll talk about that later, but that is a key passage to keep in mind. You want to remember that because people get off on bad doctrine because they miss what's said here in verse 18 about him having the keys of hell and death. He took those up. He has those right now. Uh, he has them right now. They're in his possession. But there is going to be uh, an angel fall from heaven, and uh, he's going to have the keys of death and hell. So what's that all about? You're going to have to hang on to the study till we get there. So uh, that's the key part. But uh, as we're moving on here for time's sake, he was blessed. Uh, and so uh, he had Jesus, uh, he had Jesus's hand. Uh, so what a blessing, uh, to end on such a secure note. Um, John is to, is to write down these things. Uh, and so I'm kind of perplexed here, guys, so forgive me. Huh. Anyway. Yeah. I think I've missed. Oh, there we go. I see what I'm doing. Forgive me, for I have sinned. All right, so let me finish this up, and then we'll be to John's responsibility. All right, so uh, we are in Jesus' hands. Is just a quick note on, on security. Uh, what a blessing to end on this secure note. So the churches can lose their angels, but saints can't lose their salvation, just to be clear. So we see the assurance that truly Christ is building his church, though we obviously have a large part in the success of the church. At length, it's Christ working through uh, the regenerate body to advance his bride. So John does not receive judgment, but compassion because he's not appointed to wrath. Nonetheless, he is, uh, it is appropriate for him to fall down and worship God as a, as a dead man. The holy God of heaven, uh, the beginning and the end, desires personal relationship with us and no fear. Hallelujah to you. So First Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10 say, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to attain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we're alive or dead, we should live together with him. And so uh, we take comfort in the power of the gospel. In Revelation 1.18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. So he is the first and the last. Uh, he was dead, but now he liveth. And that's good news because he died uh, that, that I might know him personally. And I know that's for you too, but for me it's, that, it's personal. So he now has the keys of hell and death. Uh, John 5, uh, if, you, if you look back at John chapter 5, verse 21, uh, and I'll be, I'm going to be quick here. John 5, 21, the Bible says, uh, For the Father, as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth uh, whom he will. The Father judgeth no man, but he committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father, which, he, which hath sent him. And that's why it's so important today to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. Um, and so that's why you need to kiss the Son, because uh, uh, the Son of God, because he, is, he deserves all honor and praise. He's been exalted and he sits at the right hand of the Father. So that's why we bow our knee and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. <clears throat> so 
God is well pleased with his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So, and Jesus does have the keys of hell and death. So Jesus took these up when he resurrected. So in the middle of the tribulation, in Revelation 9 and verse 1, the keys are given to an angel falling to to open the earth to allow some grotesque creatures out of the center of the earth to torment men five months. Uh, now, that's not hard to understand. It's just hard to believe. But it won't be, you know, once CERN opens up some wormholes and stuff and some uh, black holes or whatever they do and things get cooking, it'll all just come to pass. So by the end of the tribulation, those keys are back in Jesus' hands as he casts the devil and all the deceived into the lake of fire in Revelation 20 and verse 10. And so we'll get into all those things later. So let me wrap up here, and I'll be quick, with the responsibility of John. John has a responsibility, point A, and that is to write down the things past, present, and future. So that is his responsibility. Uh, It is faith uh, uh, when we plan based upon God's word, and we put it to paper, right? So when you write your plan down on paper, that's faith. Uh, Well, guess what? That's what John is doing. He's writing down what he sees, uh, and it's all about faith. So we're to be a living epistle, uh, known and read of all men. According to 2 Corinthians 3.3, the Bible says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but uh, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. And so so Paul is is writing to those Corinthians saying, Hey, Man, we're doing a writing here in the, in the fleshy tables of the heart, not in the stone tablets of the law. It's not enough to lay the, the word on paper. Ultimately, it's got to go to the heart, right? That's why you've got to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right? It's not just a head knowledge. It's a heart knowledge. And so uh, point B, Revelation 119, and uh, we will be done. The outline of the entire <clears throat> book of Revelation is, is it's a simple well your outline or your, your notes say revelation 119 is an excellent and simple outline that's the word outline of the entire book of revelation and what might that be well very very simply um the things which thou hast seen well that's that's revelation one through four uh, this is the list of the seven churches which we know are literal churches that picture for us the past two thousand years of church history the things which thou hast seen the things which are i think i got this on the screen yeah, there we go. The things which are. Revelation 5 through 19. Uh, this marks the things which happen after the church is taken out in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, the Hebrews uh, in, in the tribulation will especially see this outline as they wake up in the time of God's wrath uh, to the reality that they missed the church age. They'll be experiencing the wrath of God contained in Revelation 5 through 19 and looking forward with patience to the coming of the Lord as their military savior just as Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7 were expecting uh, the ascension of Christ in the clouds to, for him to come back as a military uh, leader. It took him a while to grasp what was going on in that first century. And thirdly, the things which shall be hereafter, Revelation 20 through 22. So there you really get a good outline, the simplest outline you're going to get for the whole book, right? One through, uh, I got one through three up here in my notes. I got one through four. However you want to lay that out. But one through three, the things that thou hast seen, that's the seven churches. Uh, four through 19 puts you in the tribulation. Uh, and then um, uh, 20 through 22 is the end after the, after the second coming of Christ in Revelation 19, the last time you see the second coming. Then you go into the millennial reign and eternity future. So the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, 
Now, why is it the things which are? Just to be clear, because John is caught up to witness the things that are. So he is transported to the future, and he is seeing it in real time and recording it and giving it back to us. Uh, and so that that's kind of blowing your mind. But that's going on in the first century. So there's time travel. Is there time travel? Yeah, John did it. So, And we got the record. And that's why we know tomorrow's newspaper before it happens. And so... Uh, so the last thing, and I'll leave you with this and we're done, is simply walk by faith, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. So this is a practical application of the passage. There's no way that we should leave God's presence the same way we came in. And when we come before God, we should leave different. We should be full of faith uh, because he is the God of faith. So Jesus invited us into worship. The doors are open, and uh, we're to come with boldness according to Hebrews chapter 4. He says, peace be unto you. Uh, But we're not to leave in lasciviousness, but reverence, because we're dealing with the God of the universe. So next uh, next week when we get together, uh, we are going to move on to chapter 2 and look at the first of the seven churches, the church of Ephesus. And uh, as uh, we get into that, we'll be working through each of those seven churches. And then we're going to go through the open door into the third heaven and uh, see what John sees in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. All right? So uh, let's stand together, move your bodies, and uh, you guys have been sitting a good long time, probably going to sleep. You're stiff and tired, and it's been a long day. You guys encouraged? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity just to to, uh, uh, finish up this chapter as we consider what it's, it's literally like to stand before you as you are now. Uh, And Lord, help us to recognize your power and your glory. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for just your tenderness to John, uh, which is a picture of your goodness to us. Lord, help us to just be focused on things above so that we, um, like John, can uh, have your word written in our hearts. Lord, help us to be living epistles as you reveal uh, your word to us. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, as you reveal it to us, that we would be like John, be faithful to write it down. And the things that we learn, Lord, I pray it would affect us practically in getting the gospel where it needs to go on time, that we'd be ready to partake, Lord, of our our place uh, in the days ahead as these things will come to pass. Lord, fill us full of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I pray, God, that you love us and how you do love us, and I thank you, Lord, for loving us. I pray, God, as we leave here tonight, that your good hand would be upon us. Uh, Lord, it's interesting how... Uh, Lord, you're able to put your hand on John while you still have stars in your hand. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just continue to comfort us um, and give us everything that we need to accomplish in your mission and your power for your glory. We just thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.